<laughs> All right. So um, Arturo introduced me before. My name is David Ellis, and I'm pastor of a church in Astoria, Queens. Astoria Community Church, we're a Presbyterian church that we planted 20 years ago. We've been there all this time. I'm here with my wife, Sabeda, and she's uh, a therapist, has a counseling practice here in Manhattan. That's why I am so emotionally healthy. <laughs> <laughs> we have... Uh, we have four adult children who are living everywhere from California to Canada to Queens, New York, and we have one grandson. And uh, I got to know your pastor, Nick, a few years ago. Um, a couple from our church um, had, I guess they were part of his uh, campus ministry when he was at Columbia. They told us where he was speaking. I was so intrigued to hear him speak that I reached out to him and said, I'd love to get to know you. So for several years now, we've been, uh, been building a friendship. And what we are doing today is uh, switching pulpits, I guess. <laughs> that, remember that um, was a reality TV show a few years ago, Trading Spouses? <laughs> so, the show was not nearly as florid as the, as the title would suggest. They would just have one person live in one home, one another. We're kind of trading churches for this morning. And so I am so glad to be here. I've heard so much about what God is doing at Neighborhood Church, what God has done for years, and he's continuing that work and doing it, and, I'm, and so I'm just honored to be here. I want to ask if you'd just pray with me, and let's invite God to speak to us on this passage. Father, we gather as redeemed people around a revealed word with hearts that are open, and we ask that you would speak to us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would take the truth of Scripture and the truth of the gospel and apply it to our lives for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm. So this uh, passage tells the story of the time that God tested Abraham to determine whether or not Abraham really feared the Lord, just to determine whether, whether Abraham's faith was genuine or whether it was, you know, false. And so to kind of look at this uh, passage with you, I'll, I'll touch on two points. First, I want to talk about the test, the test that Abraham faced, and then I want to talk about the hope for people who have failed that test, right? So first, first the test. So at this point in his life, Abraham, you may be familiar with the story of Abraham. He had been following the Lord for a long time, and God had blessed him greatly. A Abraham was, a at this point in his life, very, very wealthy man. We read that he had flocks and herds and just hundreds of servants, very, very wealthy man. He was also, you can tell from the, from the passage, a very healthy man. So at this point in his life, he's well over 100 years old. And yet look at what he does in this, in this narrative. He's chopping wood. He's hiking cross country. And he's climbing up a mountain with his son. That's pretty healthy, right? <laughs> so this man is he's wealthy and he's healthy. In addition to that, at this point in his life, Abraham finally has the family of his dreams wonder what the family of your dreams would look like. He's God. You see, um, God, years before, had promised Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that one day they would have a son. And that promise was a long time in, in reaching fulfillment because they struggled with infertility. And they could not conceive a child. And after many years of waiting and trusting and hoping, they finally had their son, this beautiful boy whose, whose name was Isaac. So that's where we pick up this story. Abraham is wealthy, he is healthy, 
and he has the perfect family. And yet God says, we need to test this guy to see whether or not his faith in me is real. Now, if you think about that, that might catch some people by surprise. And there are, there are preachers today that teach that if you have the right kind of faith in God, and you have enough of that faith in God, God will prosper you in every way. Your finances will be blessed. Your health will be blessed. In, in other words, maybe you've heard these preachers. They teach that health and wealth are indications of genuine faith. Well, Abraham was healthy. Abraham was wealthy. And yet God seems to be saying that doesn't mean he's got faith. I mean, we still need to test his faith to see if it's real. Now, there, there are uh, other teachers who will teach that if you honor the Lord with your life, if you live faithfully for Christ, God will give you the perfect family. You'll, you, will, you will get married. You'll have the perfect spouse. Your marriage will be a happy one. Your children will flourish in every way. In other words, they teach that healthy family life is proof of one's faithfulness to God. Well, as I said, Abraham has the family of his dreams. And yet God seems to be saying that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it doesn't mean his faith in me is real. So the question that you ask as you, as you start this narrative is what, what was God looking for to determine whether or not Abraham's faith and devotion were real? It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't his health. It wasn't his wealth. It wasn't his family life. Um, what, what was God looking for? And you probably know the answer. He was looking for obedience. Would Abraham or would he not obey the word of the Lord, even if God asked him to do something just unspeakably hard? Would Abraham obey? Verse, verse 1 says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Verse 2 then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Would Abraham obey? Now, as modern readers, we have all kinds of questions that this narrative doesn't seem to want to answer, right? Like we're at, maybe you're asking uh, kind of theological questions. Wait a minute, if God is omniscient, why does he still need to know whether or not Abraham has faith? The narrative doesn't seem to be interested in that, does it? it we, we might also ask kind of an emotional question. Why would God put his servant through such a, such a heart-wrenching trial? Maybe if you're going through a trial right now that's very heart-wrenching, you might be asking that question. The narrative is not interested in asking that question either. It is, it's just showing that what God is looking for in the lives of his servants to indicate whether or not we truly trust him is our willingness to obey. That was the test. Well, you, uh, you know, the result on a Reddit forest, Abraham passed the test, didn't he? With flying colors. And if you, if you look at the narrative, you'll notice there, there are details here. It kind of emphasized the thoroughness of his obedience. So verse 3 says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Early the next morning. I wonder if you've... Uh, if you've ever struggled with an issue of obedience, and eventually you got around to doing the right thing. I mean, eventually. Maybe uh, maybe there was someone that you needed to apologize to. 
Ask them to forgive you. You finally did it, but it took months. Maybe, maybe there was some money that you owed, a, a debt you had to pay. You finally did it, but it took a long time. Maybe, you know, for a long time, the Holy Spirit's kind of nagging you. Once you get involved in, in serving the poor, and eventually you did, but, but it took a long time. I've been there, all right? That's not the way it was with, with Abraham in this chapter. It's, it says, early the next morning, immediately, as soon as God said it, before the sun rose, Abraham was actively obeyed. You also notice, if you look at the passage, uh, isn't it something that we're told the specific items that Abraham packed to take with him on this journey? He took wood, he took some fire, he took a knife. What did he not bring? Did not bring a lamb. He didn't bring any animal that might serve as a sacrifice. This is interesting to me. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, has some, some counsel for Christians. This is what it says. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, live, live your life where you're not, you're not leaving kind of an escape, an escape clause for yourself when you're struggling with obedience. You don't have a plan B, like if obeying God doesn't work out, I've always got plan B. I can try that. It, it, it says, don't, don't do that. So here's an example. Let's say that I go on a diet. If I'm serious about following my diet, losing some weight, I'm not going to buy a pint of ice cream, right? Where's my freezer? In case company shows up, I just want to have it, right? I, I, would, I would eliminate the possibility of, of betraying um, my commitment to lose weight. And so that's kind of what Abraham does here. He doesn't bring any animal that might serve as a sacrifice. Like, I don't even want to be tempted by that. I had, I had a friend who really, um, he, he really struggled with his use of the internet, and there were temptations, things that he, going way back to his, uh, his teenage years, that kind of had his books in him, things that he looked at that just caused him such shame, and he really, really wanted to obey Christ, so he put a um, porn filter on every device he had, every phone, every tablet, I mean, he was a musician, so he had all kinds of, uh, all kinds of devices, every tablet, every computer, every Every device he had, he put it, he put a filter on, and he had someone else set the password and said, Don't you dare tell me the password. It's kind of like what Abraham's doing here, do you think? It's just like I I don't even want to have the the possibility of disobeying my God. So he doesn't he doesn't bring a lamb. So that's his obedience. His obedience, it's it's immediate, it's unquestioning, it's thorough in every way. And then sort of the climactic moment in the story, just as Abraham is about to do the unthinkable, this, this desperately hard thing that God has asked him to do. He's just about to plunge his knife into the belly of his, of his little boy. The angel of God appears and stops him and says, don't do it. Don't do it. This was just the test. You passed the test. And then the verse 12, the angel says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham passed the test of obedience. Now, so, some of you might um, be familiar from the New Testament. There are a number of places in the New Testament that tell us that uh, what the 
same test that determines the genuineness of our faith is, is that which Abraham faced. It, it's, it's our willingness to obey God. How do you know if your faith in Christ is real? How do you know if you're really trusting him or just kind of going through the motions? Well, the New Testament would say the test of faith is obedience. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who walks who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. First John 2, verse 3, which says, we know that we have come to know the Lord if we keep his commandments. Again, James 2, 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, deeds of obedience, is dead. So that's the test. Test of Abraham's faith, the test of our faith is uh, will we or will we not obey? That's the test. Now, what about those of us who fail? Is there is there hope for us? Um, that's what I want to talk about now. Let me let me ask you. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever failed the test? Most of us have. Maybe you failed a math test, failed a science test. When I, when I was in 19, when I was 19 years old, I failed the driver's uh, test for my motorcycle license. You had to kind of swerve through all these cones without without ever touching your foot to the ground. You had to swerve, go all the way down, come back, and I touched my foot to the ground and I knew it. They said, "You're out. You're out. You fail. You don't pass the test." It's a it's a horrible feeling to fail the test. I suspect that the very first people who heard this story read to them in the form that we have it right now. I, I, I suspect that when they heard this story, they felt like they had failed the test. So the, the longest standing view of the authorship of the book of Genesis, who wrote the book of Genesis? The, the, long, the, the longest standing view, which goes way back into ancient time, it's been held by by Jewish scholars, by Christian scholars, the, the longest standing view is that the book of Genesis, at least in its original form, was written by Moses during the 40 years that the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness before they entered the land of Canaan. So just, just think about that. That the very first people who heard this story were in the wilderness, perhaps sitting outside their tent, men and women, husbands and wives, all their little children, listening to this story that Moses had recorded for them. And when they get to this part in verse 12, where the angel says, now I know that you fear the Lord because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. I wonder if in that moment, they just felt this crushing sense of shame. Have you ever, have you ever felt crushed by shame? Or guilt. I think I wonder if when they got to that point, they just felt like, oh man. Now the reason I say that is because if you're familiar with the story of the Israelites, um, the reason the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years is because they failed the test. Right? You know the story. So they were they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 
God sent Moses to bring them out of Egypt. They cross through the Red Sea. They go to Sinai. They make their way to the land of Canaan. God says, this is the land I have promised to you. Just trust me, trust me, trust me. Go into the land of Canaan. I'm giving it to you. And they said, nope, we're not going. They, they did not obey God. Now, if, if you read the account of, of that moment in their life, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you'll see that one of the main reasons why they refused to obey God it is because they, they were afraid to risk the lives of their children. Numbers 14, verse 3, they, they said this, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to, to Egypt? So when they got to that moment of obedience, when they came to their test, they said to themselves, we can't risk our children. We can't risk our children's life. We're not going into that land. Our children, our children, our children might be lost. So isn't that interesting? The, the test that Abraham passed is the same test they failed. Abraham loved God enough to trust God with the welfare of his son, right? But the people of Israel did not. See, it seems that um, for them, protecting their children was more important than obeying God. They failed to fast. And so have I. I wonder if you have. It, listen, if the proof of genuine faith is unflinching obedience to God. I failed. I failed more times than I can count. Are you familiar with, with the Ten Commandments? I, I bet you are. First commandment is what? No other gods before the Lord, right? Meaning never, ever, ever, ever in your life put anything at all before God and your devotion to his glory. Never do that. I failed that test. The, the, uh, the, the, the third commandment is don't take the Lord's name in vain, meaning never speak the name of God in an irreverent or thoughtless or careless way. Some of us failed that test this morning. Very common. You come to church and you stand up and you sing a song. You're singing. You're invoking the name of the holy God as you're singing. But you're thinking about the world. Yeah. <laughs> Are you thinking about something else? Right? Just irreverently speaking his name. I failed that test so often. The, the, the fifth commandment, that's probably the first commandment I broke in my life. You know what the fifth commandment is? Honor your father and your mother. But you know that theologians for years have, have been telling us that when you really um, extrapolate the full meaning of that commandment, it means more than just obeying mommy and daddy. It means showing honor and respect to anyone that God has placed in authority over you. I have failed that. The, uh, the ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness, meaning do not be deceptive. Don't, don't flatter people. Don't spin the truth to make it sound better than it is. Don't, don't leave out certain details in your description of, of something to kind of put yourself in a better light. Don't, don't deceive in any way. Have you ever broken that commandment? Don't lie. Guys, if, if we take what the Bible says about obedience seriously, I mean, if we really, we really stare these commandments in the face, 
we will realize that every one of us here has failed the test that God uses to measure our faith. So just imagine, just imagine how these Israelites in the wilderness felt. They must have been so excited. It's story time. We're going to hear about Abraham being tested. And then they get to this part where the angel says, now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son. And they have this sneaky that if the angel were there talking to them, the angel would say, and now I know you don't fear God because you were not willing to risk your children to obey them. It just must have felt my sense of guilt. Now, guilt, uh, guilt is a necessary feeling, isn't it? If we do something wrong, it's appropriate that we would feel guilty over it. I, it would be scary to meet someone who would do things wrong and not feel guilty about it, right? But isn't it such a crushing emotion? Just stomps you down. Even, even worse than guilt is this sense of shame, this feeling like I don't measure up, I fall short, I'm no good. It just, it's just a, a it, it sucks life out of you. It's so debilitating. And, and I wonder if they were feeling that when they read this story. And then in verse 15, the angel kept. I, I think that verse 15 to 18 are the most important part of this whole story. Here's, here's what the angel said. It says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, just imagine how those ancient Israelites would have felt when they heard that. I think we just said, wait, wait a minute. Did I hear that correctly? Did the angel really say that? The angel said that we, Abraham's descendants, we will be blessed because he obeyed. We failed the test, but we'll still receive the promised land because he passed the test. And this says that even though, even though we failed in our obedience to God, we can still receive God's blessing. Why? Because someone else, not us, someone else, Abraham, was willing to give up his son. I, now, I could be wrong, but I just imagine that when they heard those words, I just picture them dancing around the campfire with so much joy. Isn't this wonderful? Even though we failed the test of obedience, we will still receive God's blessing because someone else, Abraham, obeyed. Because someone else, Abraham, was giving, willing to give his child. And I don't know if you realize this, but oh my, that's true for us. Isn't it? That's so true for us. Even though we failed the test of obedience, as the people of Christ, we still receive God's blessing, right? Not, not because Abraham was willing to give up his son, right? But because God actually did give up his son. <laughs> I love this part of the, of the story where um, Abraham is about to kill his son and the angel stops him and then Abraham looks over his shoulder 
And I, I didn't notice that. He sees that there's a ram stuck in, in the bushes behind him, and he goes and he gets the ram, and he offers that as a sacrifice. He, I wonder how he felt. Like, isn't this wonderful? I don't have to give my child. There's a substitute sacrifice that I can give in the place of my son. So he offers that ram, and, and you know, I, I think you know that that's exactly what God did for us through Jesus. He, he, he gave his son to be the sacrifice in our place. What does it say? Peter wrote this. He said, Christ gave himself for you, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In the, when they're climbing the mountain, verse 7 and 8, Isaac must have been so confused. What's going on here? This is not like any camping trip we've ever done before. It says, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, he said, Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said to him, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. I'm glad that's what God did for us in Jesus, right? Just, just as that ram was a substitute for Isaac so that Isaac didn't have to die, Jesus came to be the substitute for us, for all those who trust him, so that we don't. And just as those uh, ancient Israelites who had disobeyed, who had failed the test, they could still receive the blessing because Abraham obeyed. You know that we can still receive God's blessing, not because of our obedience. Our obedience has fallen short but because of the obedience of someone else. Jesus says that in the book of Romans chapter 5, it says, through the obedience of the one man, talking about Christ, through the obedience of the one man, the many are declared righteous. Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 7, Paul was writing to people who did not descend genetically from Abraham. They were not Jewish, right? They were Gentile. But here's what he said to them. He said, those who have faith in Jesus are the children of Abraham. And that means that when we place our faith in Christ, God looks us at us just like he did at the ancient Israelites. And he says, you now, you now inherit the blessing you want to So that's the hope for those of us who failed the test, right? Someone else passed it for us, right? So I think two, two questions that kind of uh, arise from that thought. First, have you ever honestly admitted to yourself and to God that you fell? I don't mean that kind of like cliche, yeah, nobody's perfect, I know I'm not perfect. I, I mean, really, have you taken a look at yourself and just been very honest with God and said to God, you know, God, I, I do not deserve, I don't deserve your blessing, I don't deserve your love, I've failed the test more times than I can. Have you, ever, have you ever admitted that to yourself? And then the second question, have you ever simply trusted in Jesus as the one who passed the test for you? And the, the amazing thing about salvation through Christ is that it, it, is, it really is so simple. We, we preachers tend to complicate it, I think. Um, but it's so simple. You simply trust him. Uh, I never, I can't pass the test of obedience. Jesus did it for you. Those two questions. Have you admitted that to yourself and to God? 
and are you trusting Jesus? If uh, if you've never trusted Christ that, that way, today might be a really good day to start trusting him. I, I think it might be for you. Now, somebody might ask, if you hear this story, wait a minute, if Christ passed the test of obedience for us, does that mean that we don't have to obey God anymore? Right? Is that what it means? Um, no, it's not what it means. But it, it means that for, for the Christian, obedience for Christians is very different. Obedience for us, it's no longer about passing the test. Is it? It, it has nothing to do with that. You already, you already got an A-plus on the test. Christ won it for you, right? For us, obedience is it's simply a matter of joy. I obey because I'm loved by the Father. He'll never stop listening. The Father couldn't possibly love you more than he does right now. He'll never love you any less, right? He loves you for the sake of Christ. So your obedience to him is just this matter of joy. You're not being tested anymore. Isn't that wonderful? You're not being tested. Christ passed the test. Your obedience is a response to that. I'm asking you to pray with me. God, thank you that there is great, great hope for every one of us. Hope that because of Christ and what he did for us, we are recipients of unending eternal life. I, I would pray if there's any here today who have not yet trusted Christ to receive that love, that today would be the day that they, they just very simply begin to trust him. I pray for the rest of us that the joy of knowing that we are loved by you, not because of our performance, would fill us with a great sense of hope and delight as we follow Jesus in his name.